Welcome to the Anderson Business Advisors Podcast, the nationally recognized preferred provider for asset protection and tax planning in the nation. This show is for real estate investors looking to protect their assets, save on taxes, and build their wealth with Clint Coons. Clint is an attorney, author, avid real estate investor, and featured instructor at Anderson's tax and asset protection events held throughout the country. Enjoy the show. Everyone, Clint Coons here. And in this episode, what I want to do is I want to talk to an individual. He's an attorney that I think you're going to really want to listen into when it comes to lending and working with entities. And this individual that I'm bringing on here is someone that I ran across in working with one of my clients when it came to putting a deal together in a land trust. And it just really blew me away to find an attorney on the other side, right? Because we're always looking at the kind of the underwriters as the nemesis, the entities, the people that kill our deals. I actually found someone who understood what it is we were doing and understood the solution. We collaborated on it. And I said, you know what? You need to get on here because I've got a lot of listeners, a lot of people that watch my YouTube that could really benefit from this information, hearing what goes on behind the screen, you know, kind of like the Wizard of Oz. And so what I'd like to do then is welcome everyone to uh, welcome you all to Andy Duane. He's an attorney with PB&G. They're out of Dallas, San Antonio in Houston, Texas. He's an attorney. Andy, thanks for coming on. Clint, thanks for having me. It was great to kind of link up and be able to talk to some of your followers. I looked into Anderson. I think, you know, what y'all do is great. And I'm really excited to be here. So it's great because, you know, I know people that are watching this right now are going to get a lot out of this because just in our conversations, Mm -hmm. I've learned quite a bit. And and just to give people backstory. so, So why you're here, here's what came up. So I set up a land trust for a client a number of years ago, and he lives in the East Coast and he has property in Texas. And we set this prop, this land trust up, put the property into it, and he decided to refi the property. Now, for a lot of investors, what they'll do in a refi transaction is they'll pull the property out of the trust and, and go through that process. But he found a lender that was willing to refi the property in the name of the trust. And so this is how Andy and I started conversing about this because the trust as it was set up was a land trust. And when you saw that, Andy, what was your response? Originally, it's it's a land trust. And Fannie and Freddie are a little bit different about that. Fannie Mae says that a lender can close in a land trust if it's directly negotiates for Fannie Mae's approval. And then it has to be in a state that authorizes or it's common to close a land trust. And unfortunately, right now, Texas is not one of those states compared to Illinois or Florida. And so when I saw that, I you know nicely reached back to my client. I said, hey, this is a land trust. Unfortunately, you're not going to be able to sell it to Fannie Mae out of the state of Texas. And that's where Clint emailed me back and said, hey, I have this idea. What if we go in and we kind of work on the trust? And I said, that's great. I like that idea because the first thing lenders and my clients do, and I don't like this, is they say, hey, let's move it out of the trust. Let's move to them individually. And I said, you know, hold up. I could tell this person had assets that they were trying to protect and they had a large estate planning portfolio. Let's not mess with how titles vested. Let's have them work with the trust. And let's go back to, which ended up being Clint, the borrower's attorney, and talk about that instead. Because I don't want to tell a lender, oh, they have to move it out of the trust and have another effect on their asset protection portfolio or other kind of disastrous effects. So we worked together on the trust instead. And uh, Clint, what was the solution on that one? Well, we turned it into a living trust because all trusts can be restated. Now, you brought something up there I want to go a little deeper on so everyone understands it. You're the attorney that represents the lenders. That's what you guys do, right? 
Correct. We don't represent individual borrowers. We represent banks and lenders uh, closing home loans in the state of Texas. Under Texas Government Code 83.001, attorney or an attorney's office has to prepare a warranty deed, a deed of trust, or other mortgage-type documents. So before closing loans in Texas, lenders send us their documents for review and preparation. And trust me, in the last year and a half in this low-rate market, it has been a crazy time. But it's been a good business. Um, it's kind of a mix of the difference between Fannie and Freddie guidelines, what lenders are experiencing on their origination front. So we really back up not just the closing process, but that underwriting process. And that's why they come to me with trust and ask, hey, would you mind reviewing this and see if it meets Fannie and Freddie guidelines? Yeah, because see, what's going on here is that most loans are going to be Freddie Fannie conforming loans because as Andy stated, they're going to sell them, the broker, the loan, the originator is going to sell that loan to Freddie or Fannie. So they want it to conform with their lending guidelines. So what Andy's doing in his firm is they're the backstop for lenders. And there's other attorneys that do this. So when the underwriter gets a document like a land trust or limited liability company, they don't know how to read that stuff. So they're sending it over to Andy and say, hey, is this legit? Can we utilize Right. Yeah, uh, that's exactly what it is. And on these trusts, when it comes to me, I'm worried about how is the trust going to look at the time of closing and when my client delivers it to Fannie Mae. And a lot of people are directly selling to Fannie Mae at this time. And what happens after the loan closes or what happened before when it was restated, I'm not concerned with. I'm concerned with the snapshot in time of when the loan closes, does it meet Fannie and Freddie guidelines? And when my client delivers it to Fannie Mae, it's revocable and it meets those guidelines. And what happens after? And it might not be an asset protection thing. A spouse might have died. A daughter might be removed from a beneficiary or added as a beneficiary. Just for example, every trust is different. Every situation is different. So I'm not giving kind of that specific legal advice. I'm just kind of talking generally what my client's looking for. So when they come over, I look at the trust, I'll review it, and then I'll give signature and guidelines that meet those Fannie Mae requirements for closing. Yeah. So in this situation, what Andy said a little bit earlier is that Florida and Illinois, those are both states that recognize the land trust. Now, we use land trust in all 50 states, but when it comes to selling a mortgage, so if you wanted to refi property in the name of a land trust, mm -hmm. then the Freddie or Fannie are only going to buy those mortgages that are originated in Illinois and Florida in those types of land trusts because there's statutes behind it. Your loan originator that you're working with, your lender, they can't sell it. They don't want to hold it. They're not going to deal with that land trust, correct? Yeah, correct. And there is an interesting point. When your investors or your clients are talking to their loan officers, Fannie Mae requires that direct negotiation for a land trust. On the other hand, Freddie doesn't. Freddie does buy land trusts. And there is some caveats. Freddie Mac buys land trusts where they are statutorily authorized and also where the individual beneficiary is the borrower. So there is some kind of wiggle room on Freddie Mac accepting them. But a lot of times when these loan officers get these land trusts, it kind of spooks them out. And that's where I come in, kind of walk them through that difference and educate them. Okay, this is an intervivos revocable trust. We'll call it kind of a grandma and grandpa trust set up for estate planning purposes. And then we have a land trust, which has totally different solutions for the problems your clients are facing. Okay. So it, let's assume that in, in this situation with our client, Mm -hmm. that that trust was an Illinois-style land trust. So we, I had drafted it for Illinois law, set it up as an Illinois trust. Would that have changed this because the property is located in Texas? I think when you delivered it to me, 
and it said it was a revocable living trust. The documents you gave that restated and amended, I think that's fine. I, I don't see any concern what you're doing. But like I said, every situation is different. I don't think Fannie or Freddie has ever kind of looked at that on the backside. Um, well, what I'm thinking is this, Andy, not to be catch up here, but if we had set it up originally, it just left it as a land trust. But in the trust document, when you read the land trust, it stated it was an Illinois land trust holding mm-hmm. Texas real estate. Could we have done it with that? Could you have sold a mortgage where it's an Illinois trust holding property in Texas, where they say because the properties in Texas, the loan originates there, they won't buy it? Yeah, I think you might run into an issue with that. If you kind of styled an Illinois land trust, but doing it as property in Texas, I think we might run into issues because Fannie and Freddie want it in states where these types of land trusts are commonly accepted, I think is the word Fannie uses. And then also Freddie goes further and says statutorily authorized. Got it. So that wouldn't have got us around it because the property is in Texas, which is not a statutorily authorized land trust state. Yeah. And in my legal research, it shows, you know, the land trust question has not really come to Texas yet. It really hasn't been debated. It's never been really raised in court. There's a few cases and it kind of will go back to kind of this long, boring statute of uses. Clinton and I as attorneys know it's not that interesting. Okay. So what we did then is, as you stated, we converted it into a living trust because all land trusts can be amended and restated. So so the process I went through here is I restated the trust as a living trust. So it converted it. Now, there's nothing to stop horse if he ever wanted to, to convert it back to a land trust. All right. Because as Andy stated, at that point in time, once the loan is done, they've sold it off to Freddie. It doesn't matter. But here's what's interesting. If that property was in a limited liability company, and because it's a residential loan, could he have gotten that across the goal line? I'm doubtful. Uh, Fannie and Freddie do not allow for LLCs. In their general borrower eligibility section, they like a natural person. That's kind of this gold standard. And then they make exceptions. And the biggest exception to that is a revocable living trust or a land trust. And then there's some other kind of real use. But an LLC for people selling to Fannie and Freddie, that's not possible. Because it's a residential mortgage and not a commercial, and they won't write that. Correct. For people selling to Fannie or Freddie. But if you do have clients that are using private banks, kind of high wealth, ultra wealth individuals, those lenders are willing to lend on LLCs. I do see those and I review those as well uh, for some other clients. And so if you have a bank that is keeping something portfolio, they might be willing to accept an LLC as the mortgagor under the security instrument. Okay, so this is where, you know, for the people that are that are watching this right now, I talk a lot about using land trust and limited liability companies. And people will say, well, you contradict yourself sometimes. I get it. You know, I'm blonde. I forget what I said earlier. But the thing that comes up for me is that when you're buying real estate, I try to make it as simple as possible. Just put it in the LLC. Don't I, there's a video I did on the due on sale clause showing how it's not an issue with Freddie or Fannie now. And then I'm thinking to myself, well, if we use the land trust in situations, let's say I'm an individual and I never want to see the property hit my name, because if I put my property into an LLC, in order to go through with the loan process, I got to pull it out. But instead, if I put it into a land trust and have the land trust owned by the LLC, then I could go through a process where I convert that land trust to a living trust, get the loan, Freddie Fannie conforming loan, where I'm listed as a beneficiary, and it never hits my name right? Yeah. There's, like I said, each trust, each situation is different. There's different structures. But when it comes to my desk, if it meets Fannie and Freddie guidelines and they're selling to Fannie or Freddie, I'll get the go ahead because I'm worried about what's going to happen at closing and what's going to happen when they deliver that loan to Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. You know, life's going to go on. 
pre-closing, post-closing. I, I don't think as the lender, we're really concerned with that. We're kind of concerned at the time of closing, does it meet those guidelines? And can my client sell it on that market? So what's important is I hope people are pulling out of this is that when you're thinking about your structures, and if you're thinking down the road, you plan to refi the property, then if you don't want it in your name, consider using a land trust held by an LLC for your asset protection. But when you go about that refi, and this is where I see a lot of people screw up because attorneys like yourself who have to review these docs, the client applies for the loan, the underwriter asks for documentation on the entity, they send it over without contacting my office. It happens so often. And then like what happened with the individual, he set it up and he didn't contact me beforehand. Mm-hmm. He just transferred the, or sent you the docs and then I had to get involved. Had he talked to me beforehand, we could have set the package up where you got it and it looked like a living trust. You'd be like, that works. That, that's uh, Freddie Fanny conforming. Is that that's what was presented to me. And that's why we spoke before this. And for investors or people out there going out and getting these loans, especially in this hot interest rate market, if you have LLCs, if you have trust, if you have anything that Clint and his team has set up, before you go to your loan officer with your documentation, go talk to Clint, go talk to your attorney, check in with them, say, hey, I want to get a mortgage on this property that is part of my asset protection or estate planning portfolio. And I think that will save a lot of headaches. Um, I've seen borrowers give my clients 350 pages, and I just need 30 of it for the living trust. They're sending the durable power of attorney, the medical directive. That's why I'm definitely recommending for these people going out and getting loans, talk to your attorney first. If you have a trust, if you have an LLC, go check in before you get that refinance thing or refinance process started just to save headaches all, all around. It makes the mortgage process a lot smoother. Before I was an attorney, I worked as a mortgage processor. And a lot of times, you know, people given trust documents, LLC, sometimes underwriters, processors, they're not reading it. You need an attorney to read it, unfortunately. And so that's why go check in with Clint. He might be able to provide, say, a certificate of trust that states the trust in question does meet those Fannie Mae guidelines. And that makes from the loan process closing to if it's a cash out, getting your money and going and buying another property a lot easier and it saves a lot of headaches. Now, are there any traps you would tell people who are watching this that that are considering a just getting a loan to buy a new property? Mm -hmm. Because we've been talking about a lot of refi, but this still applies no matter what, if you're going to buy close on a new investment property, are there any traps that they should be aware of that they should focus on before going to their lender? Just kind of get your, get your documentation ready. If it's closing in a trust, checking with the attorney that did it, you know, if it's been a few years before you did it, it might be time to restate it and update it. Also, for people that are coming in, just get your documents ready and ready to go. It makes the process a lot smoother, um, kind of all around for the borrowers and for at the same time, the lenders and then people closing. So, so could I close in a trust? So forget about the refi now. Mm-hmm. Let's assume that I, I've got this property under contract and I want to close in a trust. Is that possible if it's yes. a living trust in Texas? Uh, Fannie and Freddie do allow for a, I think Freddie or Fannie calls it a intervivos revocable trust. Mm-hmm. And then Freddie Matt calls it a living trust. So those estate planning trusts, kind of the basic requirements are that it be created by the borrower. So the borrower is the settler. We'll do a one settler, one trustee, one beneficiary type setup. Uh, it was created during their lifetime and takes effect during their lifetime. So it has to be an express inter vivos trust that rules out inner or testamentary trust, 
uh, trust that we're creating grandma and grandpa's will that you might be the trustee and beneficiary of now. And also it has to be revocable. It has to be amendable and can be terminated by the settler. Other things to consider, the trustee should either be the settler or the borrower. And then Fannie Mae does allow for an institutional trustee, which could be a bank and trust company. Or in my opinion, Fannie Mae does allow for an attorney to be the trustee. Um, if you're kind of worried about, I'm, don't sign me up because I know how many pages you have to sign. I draft yeah. those docs every day. I know what you're talking about, Clint. I know what you're smiling. It's, it's a lot, but that is an option. I think I ran into, when was it? A few months ago, we had a client come to me and he said, hey, my borrower is big on YouTube. He's an influencer, has big media presence, and he's worried about his privacy now. But Fannie and Freddie typically want that borrower to also be the trustee or an institution. I said, you know what? An attorney has a fiduciary duty. And we checked with Fannie Mae and Fannie Mae said, yes, an attorney would be okay. And in my opinion, that's allowed. Um, and that trustee has to have the power to borrow money, mortgage property. And that's kind of the basic requirements for Fannie and Freddie. Uh, they're a little bit more in depth with different situations. Um, like I said, every trust is structured different. Every title is vested all different. Um, there's underwriting and title insurance concerns, but just kind of those basic requirements for that trust structure allows you to purchase a property in a living or an intervivos revocable trust. Okay. So we've talked a lot about buying investment property and you know, for people who are going to hold it longer term, rent it out. We discussed earlier about you and I, before we did this, about flipping. And right. I hadn't thought about this, but you brought up something that's really important to people who buy and sell property. There's a anti-flipping provision or something like that you were, you were describing to me. Yeah. So what we talked about was the FHA anti-flipping part of the HUD handbook. And FHA is concerned that these houses are going to get flipped for an artificial value and kind of move down along. And they are worried about FHA insuring all those. So they have these guidelines in place for, um, let's see, if uh, I guess your investors would have a house. Mm -hmm. They need to have, if I'd recommend waiting 180 days from that time that deed is delivered when they acquired legal ownership to go under contract. And the reason is, is FHA will not insure a loan to a borrower when the seller on record acquired the property less than 90 days, unless it was through inheritance is kind of the only exception that might apply to an investor. They won't accept it at all and won't insure it. There is a caveat from 91 days to 180 days. So that's going out for about three to six months. They'll require two appraisals for that transaction, which if it's kind of a, you know, hundred, dollars $300,000 house could add up cost. And then those appraisals control that value. There's a formula. Uh, I can send you the provision of the HUD handbook that you can send out to your clients. So my best advice is if you're flipping if you're using the burn method and you're buying this and you have people coming in that you know are going to be FHA borrowers, that's a lot of first-time home buyers that are hot in this market right now. If Biden passes that $15,000 tax credit for first-time home buyers, I think we'll see even more of these FHA loans because low down payment requirements. But after 180 days, when the seller on record acquires title to when they sign the purchase contract, so let's say 181 days, FHA doesn't have a problem. And I know that's a little bit of time, that's six months to wait and hold property before you sell it. But if you have borrowers that aren't making a large down payment and are going to go FHA, you could run into that issue. Yeah. So what would be, I mean, I'm just, when you're telling me this, I'm my head spin, I'm going to argue, what's a workaround for it? If I wanted to get that property under contract 
if I could get the rehab done within two months and I want to get it under contract with a buyer right away, but I still understand that if they're a first time home buyer, they're going through FHA, they're going to struggle there because they're not going to be able to close on it. How about if I sold it to them on an installment sale? So I tie them up, I take down some down payment money, and then they hold it. And I have in there that they have to refi the property. Could I do this, make them refi it within 180 days? Or or is that going to be a a balloon mortgage or something like that, which would throw it off? That's a great question. I haven't really thought about that from that side. It's been a while since I've kind of been on the origination side. Oh, I know it's not your wheelhouse as the attorney because you're not the originator, but no, um, but I, I think that's interesting. Um, I think I'm probably going to run that. Like I said, uh, I've been in the mortgage industry for a while. I have brother, mother, dad that are all LOs and run a mortgage company. I'm going to run that situation by them and I'm going to check back and see what they oh, say awesome, about man. it. Let me know and I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. Because I was thinking if I was in that situation, mm-hmm. I'd want to make sure I got that buyer, got them tied into the property. So I know that that property is yeah. sold. Providing know that they've got, they can qualify. So they have a pre-qual letter that they would be able to buy it. Mm-hmm. That just, uh, it's interesting though. But your point is, I think people should be aware of it. If you're flipping property and you know that you're going to be selling it to first-time home buyers, hey, there's something that could throw you off mm-hmm. on that. The big thing I see come about is people transfer it from their LLC to them as individuals to do the sale for some reason, or they they had moved it around or they had conveyed it for asset protection or estate planning purposes, and that triggers that conveyance. So when my client gets that FHA guarantee as part of that documentation, they need a 12-month chain of title. So if you do have it in the LLC already, don't transfer it if you know you're going under contract and you're going to flip it and you have even an inkling that it's going to go FHA financing. Whoa. Okay. So what I just heard you say is that if I have it in an entity and I'm thinking about selling it and I decided I don't want it in that LLC, I want it in the corporation. If I were to transfer that property to myself, deed it into the corporation or just deed it directly into the corporation, when I list it for sale, if there's a first time home buyer coming to buy that, mm-hmm. they're not going to qualify because of that transfer? Uh, FHA wants the seller on record to be the person making the sale. They won't allow for uh, any sale or an assignment of a sales contract. And when that conveyance hits, kind of that's when the clock starts. It's all different for each state, but in Texas, it's when they acquire legal ownership. So that would be in Texas when they get the deed delivered to them. Um, it's usually on the date of the deed or the date of the acknowledgement. But let's just say for the date of the deed for that purposes, we'll assume that's when it was delivered. They want that clock to start then when they acquire the legal ownership to 90 to 180 days. So if you're thinking about flipping um, or not flipping, conveying from one entity to another, just be wary and be aware that that could be an issue you might run into selling it to someone that might be getting FHA financing. Wow. How about if the seller, let's say, for instance, was a land trust where the corporation was a beneficiary and I'm selling it out of this land trust? Would, Would the mortgage originator ask for copies of that trust so you could review them? to ensure that the trust could convey title? Is that something? I wouldn't from my perspective because I represent the bank and lenders that are making these loans to the borrower. On the seller side, that land trust or however that's set up, the person selling it, that might be reviewed by a title insurance company. The title insurance company is going to go in there. If it's a trust, they want to make sure the trustee has the ability to sell and convey the trust property if they require the direction of the beneficiaries in that case of the land trust or in the case of an LLC, they want to make sure that the LLC has the ability to complete the transaction. So it wouldn't be reviewed from my side 
in the case of a seller, but it might be reviewed by a title insurance company that would be insuring the transaction. Yeah. I'm going to need to get someone from a title company on here and uh, get that out as well. Because I could see that that'd be important to make sure that there aren't going to be any hiccups from the seller side with your documents. Well, hey, this has been great. Is there anything else that you think that um, we need to get out that people should be aware of uh, when it comes to putting these deals together if you're a real estate investor? Uh, I think one I ran into this week or actually last week, excuse me. So I said earlier that we were reviewing LLCs and um, I see an issue that comes up that some of these LLCs are set up as just single member, single manage LLCs. And yes, it works because it will be vested in the entity. But when it comes down to signing, especially that somebody is worried about their privacy um, or might be in the public eye a little bit. I think in this case, it was a professional athlete. He got to closing and he calls my office and says, hey, I don't want to sign this. You know, I don't want my name on any of the docs. I said, okay, let's think of a solution. And that's where an authorized signer might come handy. When you're going to sell a property that might be held in an LLC, or if you're with a private bank or wealth company that could close in an LLC and you're worried about your privacy, look into maybe doing a resolution that appoints an authorized signer to sign on behalf of the LLC or even another manager that has the power to act independently. I think that's a good um, solution and a good workaround for, especially say if someone is a professional athlete or famous or in the public eye or worried about their privacy, say for instance, doctors, I know use a lot of LLCs and trust in their asset protection. So that's just something I wanted to touch on that we had talked about. So do you have any other questions for me, Clint? No, I don't. And I just want to thank you for taking the time to, to come on here and share this information because I, like you said, I've been excited about this there's so much that comes into getting loans and putting them together the right way. And when you're under contract with someone, you don't want to screw it up and have to go back and ask for an extension because I've been there. If you've yeah. got money down that's gone hard and the seller says no, you could be in problems. So I understand. Well, it was a pleasure and uh, I look to speaking to you here soon. Likewise. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Show notes for links to everything mentioned in this episode can be found on our website at andersonadvisors.com slash podcast. Be sure you subscribe to our podcast. And if you are already a subscriber, please provide us a review of what you thought of this episode. 